Christianity and Gender Fluidity, an interview with Archbishop Julian Porteus. One of the uh, issues that have has emerged uh, in recent times has been what's often described as gender dysphoria, that is, um, young people who uh, are confused about their sexual identity and uh, who express a desire to transition from their birth um, uh, gender to uh, to the other uh, opposite gender. Um, this has um, become an issue in society. There's been a dramatic increase in the numbers of such cases and um, there has been many people at a loss to understand it and understand the nature of it and how best to respond to it. This applies in a particular way to our Catholic schools but also to our social service agencies and of course parents who are confronted with this, this challenge. So uh, I think one of the beginning points needs to be to clarify uh, an understanding of the nature of, um, of gender dysphoria uh, to help us then in being able to know how best to respond and assist the young people who are having this experience. I was very grateful for the contribution that was made uh, when we had right of a range of visit from um, firstly uh, Dr um, Elizabeth Taylor um, who explained a bit of the background behind the, the more the ideological push when people are proposing that this should be encouraged and supported and people should be allowed to transition. Um, so she explained what was called gender theory or queer theory um, as to why people take this position that people should be encouraged to change from their birth um, gender to, uh, to the opposite gender uh, or something in between. Uh, the other um, speaker is a medical doctor, professor uh, of paediatrics at, at Western Sydney University. It was very helpful to listen to him speak because he was able to uh, look at things from a medical perspective and particularly to be aware of the very dramatic things that need to happen at a medical level for a person to effectively transition, and and but also the, the very real uh, effects that that does actually have upon a person. So uh, we were able to see from his medical experience how this is, uh, is, is a, such a heavy intrusion into the, 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 the nature of the person and how it has long-lasting effects, medical effects upon the person if they uh, pursue these lines. So both uh, speakers, I think, offered us uh, great insight and were very helpful for us in understanding more clearly some aspects of the nature of this uh, challenge that we currently face. And Your Grace, uh, could you provide some insight on the nature of what it means to be male and female and why things such as puberty blockers or transitioning from one sex to another is a problem, like is it a moral issue? Um, to what degree does it um, affect the personhood? Mm. Um, yes, I think one of the um, important questions to address here is what is actually the source of the, uh, of the, the confusion that comes into life. It can be a young child, it can be a primary school child or a, a young person in secondary education. Particularly it occurs around the time of puberty where there's a good deal of change taking place um, in the person. Um, one of the questions is, is 
what is its source, and it's a very complex matter to understand the causes of it. However, one of the things that has become clearer and clearer is that it is fundamentally a psychological issue, and therefore it really needs to be dealt with at a, at a psychological level, um, and, and not just, if you like, immediately accepting the desire of the person or the um, or the wish of the person to to um, to become a member of the other sex, um, but to s sort of look at it as something which has uh, a psychological basis, and then to consider how best the child can be assisted uh, at a psychological level. Um, one of the examples that uh, Dr. Whitehouse gave, I thought was very, very useful, was that he spoke about how would you respond to somebody who's experiencing anorexia, um, that you wouldn't just immediately confirm that what they themselves sense about themselves, what they understand as, um, uh, as what they want of themselves, clearly, objectively, we would say, that, that their perceptions are not right, their understandings of their own person are not correct, and therefore it really is a person not having clear understanding of the reality of their circumstances. Uh, I believe it's the same in, in, in this question of, um, of people experiencing what they call gender dysphoria, that they have a certain perception of themselves, um, they may be quite convinced about it, but objectively we could sort of say, but this is not good, this is not necessarily the right thing to do. So I think the key thing is to, to realise that uh, we need to help a person find the truth about themselves, the truth about their identity, and, and not just if you, if you like immediately accept that what they themselves feel or sense about themselves is correct. Um, and so it needs a good deal of, uh, of wisdom, and uh, a good deal of compassionate uh, assistance to a person in such a situation. And Your Grace, from a, a theological perspective, um, what does the church teach about what it means to be male and female that would be at odds with, um, you know, queer theory or gender theory? Could you, could you shed some light on the issue at that ideological level, that philosophical mm -hmm. and theological level? What mm -hmm. does the church teach us? Yeah, I think one of the, um, the questions here is um, what is the perspective that we bring to the nature of the human person? Now, a person without faith may, may very well embrace what's often called queer theory, to say that uh, everything's fluid, everything's possible, that what we have, um, if you like, at a biological level isn't necessarily meant to be the person that we become and so on. Now, that's a particular worldview, a particular approach to, uh, um, to the nature of the human person. Um, a Christian would bring a very, quite a deliberate and, and explicit understanding of God's design, of God's plan, of God's intention for human life, in that that um, the book of Genesis just talks very simply about, he says, for instance, chapter 2 talks about it's not good for man to be alone and make a helpmate, so the idea of a complementarity comes out there, or the very fact that Genesis 1 says 
uh, God, male and female, he created them. Um, and then immediately after that it says, and that is why a man leaves his father and mother, joins himself to his wife, and the two become one. So in other words, the book of Genesis makes uh, some very fundamental but vital um, revelations about God's intention for human life, in particular that God created human beings to be complementary. A man and a woman complement each other. They're different. They're equal, but they complement each other. And that this is designed for one very particular purpose, and that is for marriage. And the book of Genesis says, as the Lord himself firmly confirms in the Gospels, that the two become one. So God's plan for human life is a, a creation of male and female in a complementarity which enables them to enter into a profound unity of marriage whereby they can't consider themselves just in a partnership or in some kind of agreement, but they actually go through a bring, bring about a remarkable a mystery of unity of man and woman. So this this revelation, which is given to us in the in the scriptures, um, is fundamental to the way in which we, as Christians, approach this question. So we see that God's good design for human life is is real to us. We, we can see here that uh, that there is both um, a, a nature of masculinity. The nature of femininity, um, they are God-given. And uh, as I often like to say in these, in these sort of things, for best results, follow the maker's instructions. This is how God designed us. This is what God's purpose was. Male and female are quite clearly intended by God to be such that they're able to form the union of marriage and so then provide a stable environment for the creation of new life. These are the fundamental understandings that guide us as um, as Christians, as Catholics, in, in our response to this issue of uh, uh, gender dysphoria. Mm. So the implications then would be if uh, children or adolescents go through um, what medical advancement now offers, these puberty blockers or the, the gender reassignment, you know, this would have implications for their ability to give life, give and receive mm, life into mm. their very bodies and and so contribute to society in that way. Yeah. One of the things that Dr Whitehouse, as a doctor, as a paediatrician pointed out, was that the, the, the effect of uh, going through this trans, trans, um, transition will, um, particularly when there are medical procedures involved with it, will in fact bring about infertility. So there's no way then that this person will be able to generate new life. This really is a fundamental um, question because of what God's intention is. That sexuality is uh, designed to be the instrument of the generation of new life. So a person going through this transition really then denies a vital element to... Uh, to the beauty of of, uh, of our dignity as human beings, that we are, can be the uh, procreators of of new life, and in that sharing God's God's creativity. Yeah, being being part of God's plan and purpose for the generation of of human life. 
So I suppose in conclusion, um, for the Archdiocese of Hobart and Tasmania, how do you see the teaching, uh, the formation or the, the insights that Dr. Elizabeth and Dr. John brought to Tasmania? How do you see that um, playing out or offering mm. something to the Archdiocese of Hobart? What do you uh, hope will come? Yes, I certainly hope that uh, one of the results of their visit and also the fact that we're having some further discussions on, on this matter, that will, firstly, I think we need to help people understand more clearly what is the nature of dysphoria. We can be caught up very much, particularly in the the promotion of it, which we find sadly through the media and we find through various other agencies and groups who are strongly promoting this idea and sort of saying that people have the right to to, to change their sexual identity and so on. That um, people can be swept along by by these currents of thought because they're so predominant, so 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 absolutely um, constantly before us in various ways. Uh, and the voices are so strident in promoting it that we can um, struggle to, I think inside, deep inside, we think that's not right, but we often can't understand why it's not right or or what, what are the real issues here. I think the advantage of um, the presentations we received was that it helped um, us, all of us, understand more clearly what actually is involved in the process of gender dysphoria, understanding a little bit of its background and and then looking at what would actually happen to a person if they get down this track. Um, and I'm, hopefully that information can be a, a good counterbalance to a lot of the other material that's around and will help people making make sensible, wise um, pastoral decisions when they come across young people who are going through this experience. That was Archbishop Julian Porteous with Christianity and Gender Fluidity. For more interviews, talks and shows, visit cradio.org.au.